And then those three, uh, yeah, it, it was a, so it needs some time to answer that. It's great that people engage with what is being said, but I first want to do some of those other ones uh, because, uh, yeah, I think th those are the questions we have. So uh, let me just first do these because they may be your questions. One thing that people asked, if I've been a member of another church, can I do the registration for Shatin Church? Can I be a member here? Yeah, of course. I've been a member of six churches. If you move to another church, yeah, you stop being a member in one place, and you go to another place. Yeah, that's, that's normal. Um, the thing is, you do need to resign. Yeah, the form says at the bottom of the, I'm not a member of another church in Hong Kong. Now, a, a church abroad is fine. If you're here for a year, you're going back to your home church in the U.S., that's fine. Um, but if you are a member at another church in Hong Kong, I guess you need to resign. But that, that makes sense, right? You're, if you're not part of that church, but you're part of this church, why be a member there? Uh, why not be a member here if you're part of this church? Does anyone want to follow up on that? And Carl's going around with a microphone. Yeah? Is that clear? Okay. Next question. Is our current membership with the church automatically cancelled if we do not renew it at the GA? Uh, we said that to people, uh, we'd like you to renew your membership. Just to say, yeah, tick, I know what it means to be involved in a church. And so, yeah, your membership, the answer is in a way, yes. <laughs> your membership will be cancelled if you don't renew it which is why it's good to renew it. Why don't you do it today? Huh? Next week is the deadline. However, we know that many of us are just unorganized. Uh, so tomorrow, <laughs> we'll look for all the membership who hasn't filled in their form yet and send you a reminder. And you can say, oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't pay attention. Yes, please. Uh, um, it, it, it's, not, it, it's not like that. We want, uh, we, we want to give you a chance to say, yeah, uh, ultimately, we just want clarity. Yes, I'm a part of this church. No, I'm not a part of this church. And we want just that to know of everyone who is here. Any questions on that? Yeah. But after last this Sunday, game may not return. How about our membership? Well, so you, the, the form is available online, so you just, uh, uh, you, 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 you just sign it electronically, you know, or, uh, <laughs> or just email it. So I'd like to sign, but I'm overseas. Uh, in that sense, you know, it's not about the paper form and the signature, just tell us. But it, in a way, it, gets, it means that those who have left this church, who no, are no longer coming here, that they're no longer members, because in a way, they aren't, right, if they now go to another church. So, uh, yeah, you, you just reply to the email and say, uh, sorry, I'm overseas. That's fine. Any other questions on this? No? Okay. Any other more practical questions before we go to the more theological ones? Hmm? Yeah? No? Okay. All right. So we had a couple of questions on uh, my third sermon, Who Speaks for Jesus? Um, it's on the form here. So if you look at the form, 
being a member is, and then the second one, a public identification that we see ourselves as belonging to this local church family and through it to the universal church. Being a part of a church is a, it's a public identification that you, you are a Christian, that you belong to the universal church. But it's not just you. It is the church kind of, yeah, identifying you. Yes, uh, they're part of the universal church. A bit like an embassy. I think if you weren't here for that third sermon or haven't listened, maybe this won't make much sense. So I suggest you listen to that sermon, but this is for those who, who have questions about it. Uh, yeah, but of course, saying to someone, yeah, identifying them as a Christian, uh, sometimes we have to say, sorry, we can't identify you as a Christian. The way you're living, the things you believe, we're not sure you're a Christian. And I think that the passage that, where it, yeah, that people found difficult is in Matthew 18. It's the passage we looked at. Let me read that again. Matthew 18. Verses 15 to 20. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn to it. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them." It's someone who sins, and they don't want to listen. They don't want to give up their sin. Uh, you talk to them with a few others. Even you take the whole church. Look, this is wrong, and Christians shouldn't live like this. Ultimately, if they say no, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them, consider them as someone outside the community. Um, yeah, that, that, that is a hard thing to say, isn't it? Um, but sometimes I think you can say that, yeah. If you have a colleague, they say they're a Christian. They're getting drunk every night. They sleep around all the time. Would you say they're a Christian? I hope you wouldn't. Now, be, before we answer the questions, I think you say this, ooh, saying someone is a Christian or not, is that some kind of very high standard? No. If uh, someone says they believe, you take that seriously. It's just that some sins, they really, yeah, disqualify someone. And it's not just about the sin, it's about not repenting. And it looks different for different people. Consider someone who is an elder in a church. They've been there for 20 years, and uh, an alcoholic who became a Christian a week ago. It looks very different what, uh, what, what, what their life is like. Uh, there are some things that this alcoholic still does that you'd expect the elder to no longer do. I don't think this is a kind of a high standard that people need to meet. Uh, it's, it, it, this is a messy process for messy people with messy lives. But let's look at these questions that have been asked. First of all, when did Jesus give the church the authority to judge others 
concerning their salvation. James 4, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. Uh, to, uh, yeah, to make a judgment about, is this person a Christian? Should we do that? Because, yeah, I think I agree that this verse says uh, there's only one lawgiver and judge. I think you need to remember the word judge has, has different shades of meaning. Uh, there is to judge as in to make an assessment. Shall I take the bus or shall I take the MTR? That's a judgment, right? An, an assessment. There's also to judge as in to condemn. Yeah, eternal salvation, or eternal judgment. Now, Christians shouldn't condemn and punish. That's not our job. That's God's job. And I think that's what James is talking about. But uh, that we are to make an assessment of people. Um, well, when did Jesus give that authority? I think Matthew 18. But let's look at a few verses that show that, yeah, uh, we should do this. There's a case of church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, what does Paul write? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? End of the chapter. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So Paul says it clearly. Aren't you supposed to judge those inside the church? Yeah. Or uh, words from Jesus. Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from foreign bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And you can see if someone is a good tree or a bad tree by their fruit, and you should watch out for them. Um, 1 John, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Harsh words, but they're in the Bible. You can know if someone is a child of God or of the devil based on their behavior, John says. So, yeah, this is in the Bible. Not in a condemning way, but to say, yeah, sorry, you, I think you're not a Christian. I think, yeah, this is wrong. We should be able to say that. Shall I do the other two as well because they belong together? Or does anyone want to follow up on this first? No, let's do the other ones first. Um, some more. Second question, passports and citizenship is birthright. The embassy of the relevant country confirms your right to citizenship. The new birth of a believer is a personal act of faith in Christ Jesus. Only God who sees the heart can verify a true Christian. Church membership will never, ever be a proof of Christianity. Please show us from the Bible if there is any evidence otherwise. 
Uh, I mean, that's a good question. And uh, I mean, I, I agree with, 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 yeah, with, with all this, right? An embassy just confirms. An embassy doesn't make you born. An embassy just confirms citizenship. Only God can see your heart. That's right. Church membership is not a kind of 100% proof that you're a Christian. But as we saw in those verses, your faith will be seen in your life. A good tree bears good fruit. If someone says they're a good tree, but they have bad fruit, Jesus says they're a bad tree. I mean, membership is just a practical thing. It's about people knowing you. If you wonder, am I a Christian? And there's 10 Christians, and they all know your life, and they see your life, and they would say, yeah, we see good fruit. We think you're a good tree. That, that means something. Is that 100% proof? No. But it means something. But let me show some of that principle in action in the Bible. So the Apostle Paul, right? You'd think, I mean, he doesn't need anyone to recognize him. Jesus appeared to him. Well, Acts 9, verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them. Eh? They didn't believe Saul. They didn't believe his claim to be a Christian. But here was someone who knew Saul and he said, Barnabas, and he said, look, this guy really, he's really changed. He's been saved. And they accept that. 100% proof? No, but they, they accepted his testimony. That's what church membership in a way is. Eh, here's a few people who can vouch for you. Yes, uh, this person's a Christian. Acts 10 with Cornelius. Eh, uh, we notice this first Gentile who gets saved. Peter is there. And uh, when the Holy Spirit falls on them, uh, then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, baptism, membership, it doesn't make you a Christian. They were already Christians. The Holy Spirit fell on them. It's just recognizing them. But then when Peter comes back and people say, Gentiles can't be Christians. Well, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And at the end, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, Gentiles can be Christians. We believe Peter. This is kind of, yeah, the keys of the kingdom. I, I hope that makes sense. It's, it's a kind of the idea of church membership. People can vouch for you. People affirm your faith. Anyone want to follow up on this? No? Or ask me privately. Last question. According to Niels, binding and loosing on earth is making judgments. The scripture actually reads, binding and loosing what heaven had already bound and loosed. We are to do God's will in that we bind and loose what has already been bound and loosed in heaven. The context of these referenced verses is speaking about the preaching of the gospel and not making decisions of judgment of whether someone rightly bears the title Christian. Well, I'm sorry, I see this passage, and I'm sorry that I don't agree with you. Uh, um, chapter 16, maybe, but chapter 18, what we just read, 
it seems to be not about the preaching of the gospel. It seems to be about a case of church discipline. And I, I can't get away from that. Um, but then those questions about the, the Greek tense. Well, no, that's not what the scripture actually reads. So in your NIV, it says this. Hey, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, will be. You see a footnote. And the footnote says that the Greek is will have been. It's a, it's a future perfect, if that makes, if you are a grammarian, a future perfect. It's something that in the future we will see has been done. So it's not a past tense. It's not something that God has already done. It's something that will have been done in the future. And again, in verse 19, fits with that. Yeah? Because truly, I tell you that if two or you, of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father. It's not my father has done something and now you need to do it. You agree about something and my father will do it. So I'm sorry, the, yeah, the Greek tense, the context, what it says, yeah, I, I, I don't think this, uh, I think it is what I said it is rather than the preaching of the gospel. Chapter 16, maybe. Chapter 18, no. Again, yeah. It's good that we can engage with the Bible. It's good to engage. Uh, if we say something and you think it's wrong, yeah, tell us. Great. But in this case, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think this is what it says. Anyone want to follow up on that? No? Any other questions? Any question you want to ask <laughs> or not? Yeah. Can you clarify that is uh, that judgment you're saying on chapter 18 is not the judgment God is saying, or as a church members or two or three people can judge the person to condemn not to go to heaven? It's not really clear what is the relationship. There is something about that we have, yeah. I'd call it delegated authority. Is it that we do something and God just, if we say this person is not a Christian, God, okay, God does it? Or is it something that God has already done? I think the will have been suggests that we just recognize what has already been done. But at the same time, it will be seen on that day. It will be seen in the future. And, you know, things may change. If someone repents later, then we say, okay, wow, this, this person is a Christian after all. And you reaffirm them, and, you know, great. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's something about it. The church here is this person needs to be to you as a pagan or a tax collector. This is how you should treat them. Uh, I think that's what it says. And, and, again, that's a loving thing to do. It's a loving thing to warn someone. Uh, if someone is living a life of sin and they say, oh, I was baptized as a child, I'm still going to heaven. It's the, it's the loving thing to do to say, oh, great, brother, wonderful, bless you. Or is the, the loving thing to say, actually, the, the Bible says that sin matters and that if you live like this, you're not part of the kingdom of God. I think that's a loving thing to do, to say to someone. I, I hope you see that. This is not a vindictive, punishing. This is ultimately it's a loving for them, loving for the church, loving for the world. 
uh, to, yeah, to do this. Any other questions? Peter. It's really not a question, but I wanted to just, um, uh, I guess, share my opinion or share my thoughts um, and also reemphasize what you had just said just now. I think um, some of the questions are, 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 are concerned about how um, a church can become exclusive and not inclusive. And, and that membership means that um, um, we have a right to, to cast someone out or it becomes something where we're judging other people's behavior. And, and, and I think membership actually means being accountable and responsible for each other. Much like if you think of um, a basketball team or any kind of sports team, um, you, you don't want the criticism so much from coming from outside, but you settle whatever you need to settle amongst the team members inside. And it's a loving act if one of the team members were to go to the another and say that behavior was incorrect. We as a team, we stand for this and we should be behaving this way. Um, and I think similarly, when we call ourselves a member of this church, um, we are accountable to each other for good and for, 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 for bad. So if, if, if I am doing something that clearly is, is against the Christian values that we stand for, then my expectation would be for the church to come and say that was wrong. Um, and, and that, if we do it in a way that is founded and grounded on love, then I don't think we will end up judging. I don't think we will end up um, condemning or casting out or, or excluding someone from something. But if we do it from a, from, a, from a position of I'm right and you're wrong, I'm good and you're bad, and I'm safe and you're not, uh, I think then um, uh, whatever, whether it's trivial or whether it's something important, then yes, that, that would not be the right approach. Um, so I think we... We, we, need to, we need to look at membership. We, we need to look at what the Bible is, is saying and all the questions that were asked from a point of view of being accountable and, and responsible for each other and telling the truth to each other with love. And I think if we do it with that approach, then a lot of these questions and a lot of these uncertainties might become a little bit clearer. Yeah, that's my two cents worth. Mm. Thanks, Peter. Absolutely. It's about caring for each other, exactly. Any other questions, comments? Yeah. Um, yeah, just into today's message, you had the analogy of the church being the vehicle for the gospel. Mm -hmm. It seemed to make, seemed like you were saying the, like the primary vehicle for the message of the gospel. And then another point, you said that the church is part of the gospel. So a lot of this about the gospel essentially... Can you just clearly define in a simple couple sentences what is the gospel? Because if that's what the church is all about, it would be helpful for us to kind of know what we're really going after and driving in mm. if it's a vehicle. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can define the gospel very small, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, you can define it very big. Uh, God's plan to save a people for for himself for all eternity, which he's doing now in the world. 
I think we often think a lot about individual salvation. Yeah, that, you know, I, I accept Jesus as my personal savior. Yeah, we need to stop soon, by the way. Um, and, and, and that's it. And if someone has believed in Jesus, you know, that's it. But the gospel is much bigger than that. This is about God saving a people, uh, making them his own, transforming them, growing them. It's about God, yeah, God making his, yeah, saving his people through, through Jesus' death and resurrection and, and ongoing work now. I think something like that. That, that, that is at the heart of, uh, of things. So it's not just about people being saved. It's about yeah, people growing, uh, being transformed. That is what God is doing now. It's not finished yet. It's not now, okay, let's wait until Jesus comes back, if that makes sense. Okay. One last question, and then we need to stop. And then come, yeah, come and talk to me afterwards, because it's, uh, the children I, are keen actually, to get out, I think. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, so, got, uh, I got two questions. Actually, uh, first one is that uh, that your uh, indefinite your indefinite answer to that uh, two or three uh, mm-hmm. members of the Southern Church or Christian you call may judge. So, is that our this is a simple exercise to be register to renew the membership list or? To enforce these exquisite uh, rules of the old days that two or three of us can even prosecute the other members? I don't know. Is no, it I, the, the attempt? This is the first question. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. I think two or three is here. Jesus is saying, make a, making a point. If you're gathered together in my name, even two or three, some churches are very small, I'm there. But verse 17 talks about tell it to the church. And this is not something that two or three people just do. This is something for, for a whole church. I mean, this is a long process, church discipline. It's not something quick of the mark, unless, of course, there's some, something incredibly serious. Yeah. Uh, so the, the two or three, it's not something small. This is about, uh, yeah, the church. But it's a long process. But I, I think, uh, yeah, we, we're running out of time. The children are keen to, to stop. Please come and talk to me. I'll be here. Uh, stay for the second service. Ask your question then, if you want. <laughs> if you do want to ask it publicly. But uh, I, we need to stop. We're running out of time. So uh, let me just pray for us. And, uh, yeah, there's pens at the back. Uh, I hope you see that this is just normal. Let's pray. Okay. Father, thank you again for the church. Thank you for making us part of it. Thank you that Jesus died. Uh, for our sins, that we could be forgiven, that you could adopt us into your family. We pray that uh, that family would be precious to us, because it's what you are doing in the world, a family that's still growing. Uh, please, uh, yeah, uh, help us to, uh, uh, to play our part in that. And, yeah. And go in peace and serve, uh, to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Yeah, see you next week.